0: Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. Always a pleasure to be able to share an empowering hour. I promise you, this will be one very deep-dive program we have today. But we begin with the latest on health and healing. And from Turan University of Medical Sciences, higher carotenoids is linked to lower breast cancer risk. Now, this was a meta-analysis, meaning they looked at many different studies and reported in Advances in Nutrition, the journal, that the lower risk of developing breast cancer was among women with higher serum levels of carotenoids, which are pigments such as the beta-carotene that occurs in fruits and vegetables. So the more colorful or the rainbow diet, yellows and purples and reds and greens, the more of these carotenoids you're getting, and the stronger your immune system and that can help suppress cell proliferation, it can induce apoptosis, which is programmed cell death, and it can inhibit angiogenesis, or feeding blood to a tumor. All good. They look at 15 different studies, so it makes a difference. So make sure you're getting your diet rich in fruits and vegetables every day, and you need fruits and vegetables, ideally nine servings a day. Now, in a study from Peking University in China, they call it the magnesium bullet, and it targets cardiovascular disease. Cardiovascular disease continues to rank as the top killer in the modern world. This deadly disorder often starts with the buildup of lipid deposits, or plaque, within the blood vessels, silently setting the stage for atherosclerosis and a rupture of these atherosclerotic plaques could, well, cause blood clots, and that can lead to life-threatening conditions and heart attack and stroke. And what they found is that you have too much bad or atherogenic lipids in the body, too much bad cholesterol, the LDL, and that can increase your risk of cardiovascular disease by 50%. Now, people have the have the standard diet. You know what the standard diet is. I don't have to go in that with you they're much more at greater risk. So, two different studies published in Nature Cell Biology and uh, the other in Life Metabolism, researchers have found a novel approach to achieving intensive lipid lowering, which enabled the reversal of atherosclerotic plaques in uh, these disease models. And what it was, it's manganese, now, manganese is not magnesium. And manganese, increasing the dose of extra manganese, even when conveniently provided, through the diet dramatically reduce blood lipid or cholesterol levels and cleared out the atherosclerotic plaque that has built up in the blood vessels. How about that? Manganese, 5 milligrams, 10 milligrams, and it can clear up your blood vessels. Now, you add in beets, and you add in a pomegranate, pomegranate juice, or eating pomegranates, it does the same thing. Easy ways to prevent cardiovascular disease. Now, from the Karolinska Institute in Sweden, high biological age may increase the risk of dementia and stroke. Meaning, that people have a higher biological age than their actual chronological age, have a significant increased risk of stroke and dementia, especially vascular dementia. These are the results of a study from the Karolinska Ann in sweden published in the Journal of Neurology, Neurosurgery, and Psychiatry. The studies show that the increased risk persists even if other risk factors such as genetics and lifestyle and socioeconomics are taken into account. Now, let me break this down even further. I've always said that we are two ages, our chronological age, 47, 55, 63, but more importantly is our biological age. So as we age, the risk of chronic disease such as cancer, cardiovascular disease, neurodegenerative disorders increases, not because of the aging process itself, but because of our standard of dietary and lifestyle and behavior. That's what causes it including earlier in life. So a lot of people will have a healthy early life, and then they have a healthier later life. Those who exercise early in life stay fitter longer. But those who have just pizzas and a standard diet when you're younger, far more likely to age prematurely at the biological level. So you could be 50, but your biological age can be 100. So researchers have traditionally relied upon chronological age, the number of years a person has been alive, as an approximate measure of biological age. That should not be used anymore. That's old. So they took 325,000 people, between 40 and 70, at the time of the first measurement. And biological age was calculated using 18 biomarkers, including blood lipids, blood sugar, blood pressure, lung function, and body mass index. They then investigated the relationship between these biomarkers and the risk of developing neurodegenerative diseases like dementia, stroke, ALS, Parkinson's, within a nine-year period. And when compared to actual chronological age, higher biological age was linked to a significant increase in dementia, especially vascular dementia, meaning blood clots in the brain. One more reason to do the right thing and be more disciplined. Now, from the University of Florida, bottled water, this plastic leaches endocrine disruptors and carcinogens in warm temperatures. Now, think of all the people who served in the Gulf War, the first Gulf War, back in 1991. They were given bottled water all day long, plastic bottled water. In that hot sun, where the cases were sitting out, lots of these forever chemicals ended up in their body. But this new study confirms what we already knew regarding the dangers of drinking bottled water that's been left in the sun. This was published in the Journal of Environmental Pollution. Scientists warn after leaving plastic bottles in warm place, in your car especially, because here in Florida, it might be 80 degrees outside, but your car that has no air circulating when it's off it could be 90 and that's not good. So, glass bottles, but keep even the glass out of, that, out of the sun. All right? And finally, one last study here. Pure maple syrup keeps your liver healthy. This is from the University of Tokyo School of Agriculture and Life Science. A diet that includes pure maple syrup can help to promote liver health. That's good. All right? Now, you don't want to overdo it, but it's really good. And uh, you might want to put it into a smoothie or put it over uh, millet or still cut oatmeal, whatever you choose. But it's shown to have a beneficial effect because there's lots of biochemicals, natural chemicals in the maple syrup that impacts the liver. That's the latest on health and healing. We're going to take a break. Come right back. Please stay with us. I'd like to welcome all of you, I'm Gary Nall, to a special presentation. The health nutrition segment I've already previously broadcast earlier today, and you can enjoy it by going to prn.live, scrolling down to archives, it'll be there for you. However, today's program is divided into three parts. The first part is brand new information, and this is the kind of information that... No matter what level of life you are, in accepting or rejecting or not understanding the full implications of what happened if you were vaccinated, it is a light on the truth. We have a whistleblower that will be explaining in an interview with uh, a, I would say, historic moment where we're going to learn today who was really behind the COVID uh, pandemic. It was not Anthony Fauci by himself. It was not the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. We were told, or Collins over at the U.S. Public Health Service, or anyone else. Instead, it was the Defense Department. They played everyone. They lied. They manipulated. They did this with the full cooperation of the CDC and its head, the FDA and its head, and people in the know should have known this. So, we're going to hear this interview from Redacted, from Mr. Morris, and the woman who's coming forward, just so you know, this woman, you're going to be watching if you want to watch it, or listen to it if you don't have the ability to, uh, to understand how to pull that up on your screen by going to PRN.Live, going down to Archives, going to Gary's Notes. That's where all the videos are. She's a long-time top person within the vaccine development research and analysis field. She is intimately connected with everything on vaccines and other medications. And she's come forward to tell the truth. Listen carefully to what she has to say. Because now, and by the way, when she's saying this, in the background that you can see are all of the actual documents. You'll see the patents, you'll see everything that they did. They were planning this back as early as 2013. And they did it. And they got away with it, at least up till now. Now, now, go back three weeks to Dr. Um, Dr. Rose, Jessica Rose. She's one of the world's leading experts on the mathematical modeling of immune-related issues, including vaccines. And with her team looking at only the top literature, she said on this show that she believes that 500,000 Americans died because of of the vaccine. 500,000. That's more casualties from the vaccine in a year and a half than we had from all of American casualties in World War II. That should put that in perspective. Separately, she said that at least 1.6 million Americans were severely injured, many of them for life. And thirdly, 14 million Americans had adverse effects. And yet to this day, against all science, against all peer-reviewed literature, against all the major institutions around the world having awakened and said, wow, we had the wrong model that we were using, we had the wrong information we were lied to, And still, the CDC and the major media are pushing, get your kid vaccinated, get your baby vaccinated, get everyone vaccinated, when none of these people should be vaccinated. The cause of death from the virus, which is mutated into weaker forms, even though frequently more easily contagious, uh, is not even as bad as the flu. In addition to that, we have ways of stopping it in a person who is sick. So this is the this is the interview you haven't heard, you haven't seen, you didn't know this person existed. I didn't know one did, because this is thousands, tens of thousands of people within the vaccine industry. But she was at a point where she could tell us the truth. Let's now hear the truth.
1: Well, to our top story now, a bombshell new report shows that the Department of Defense, yes, the Pentagon, controlled the COVID-19 program from the very beginning. And everything we were told was political theater, basically to cover it up, right down to the FDA vaccine approval process. It was all theater. That means that human beings were used as props, essentially. According to newly obtained documents, the Pentagon used a combination of shady approval authorizations that are still in use, including the PREP Act, the Emergency Use Authorization, and other transaction authority, the OTA, all of which shielded big pharma agencies, medical participants that delivered unregulated vaccines from any liability and protected them, basically. We've gone through a lot of these documents and just showed how they are not on the hook for any of this liability. These documents, these new documents, were obtained by a former executive of a pharmaceutical contract research organization. That person is Sasha Lidapova. and Sasha joins us now to tell us what she's uncovered. Thank you so much for coming on this on the show, Sasha.
2: Well, thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Absolutely. This is intense. I mean, when you first uncovered these documents, did your jaw just hit the floor or did you know that this is what you were going to find based on the breadcrumbs you were already uncovering
2: uh, well i yeah I, I i was really shocked i was working on this for quite some time uh so i first my first finding was that these products were not uh, good manufacturing practice compliant and that i found right away when they started being rolled out due to extreme variability of adverse events and deaths that were reported her each lot of the of the so-called vaccine so that was very shocking to me as a pharmaceutical um, uh, professional because we know how uh, high quality uh, pharmaceuticals typically must be manufactured you know they have to be very very consistent there should be practically no variation lot to lot in terms of uh, toxicities or or any other performance characteristics and these products were varying about thousand times lot to lot so uh, that was extremely concerning and uh, i didn't realize why that was happening but i just knew that they were not good manufacturing practice compliant i later confirmed that through regulatory documents And then the final piece of the puzzle was when I uh, was able to see all these contracts from the DOD. They were released uh, based on Freedom of Information requests and also Securities and Exchange Commission disclosures. And uh, when I saw those contracts, there were around 400 that are now available for all COVID, so-called COVID countermeasures, including vaccines um i realized that was really what was going on uh the department of defense uh, used a very um shady contracting practices and also used several uh laws that were put in place previously previous to COVID, to uh to do this to shield pharmaceutical companies to not conduct you know proper clinical trials uh to do a lot of uh, fraudulent I would say manipulations of public perception um, and all in collusion obviously with mainstream media and these pharma companies. And so as a result, we have this theatrical performance called uh, clinical trials, but they were actually not real. They were, they did not, um, you know, based on the laws that are used here and invoked in this process, the clinical trials are not required at all. Uh, and, and in fact, they cannot be conducted.
1: I mean, that's one of, there's many, there's many really troubling parts of the story. We'll we'll unpack a few of them, but that one stands out to me perhaps at the top of the list is the theatrics that were put in place for these trials. So there were human beings in many ways being used as props to paint the veneer that they were somehow going through deep trials to make sure that we were all safe with these vaccines. And you have, I know there was, for instance, a 13-year-old girl. Uh, They, in fact, had an ad, the Vaccine uh, Safety Council had put out an ad that was going to run during the Super Bowl, Then it was yanked by Comcast. They wouldn't allow it to air, which shows a perfectly healthy 13-year-old girl who went through this particular trial and then ended up having all sorts of adverse events. So these people were used as props, essentially, right?
2: Yes, exactly. And so the, the clinical trial subjects were deceived, Uh, And, but importantly, most of the clinical trial sites and investigators were also deceived and most of the FDA employees were deceived because this um, particular scam is driven from the top. Only few people, as far as I understand, at the top of these organizations, the Department of Defense, um, HHS, FDA, BARDA, um, their legal uh, counsels, they know. But then the rest of the regular employees and rank and file, and especially clinical trial subjects, of course, were kept in the dark. And in fact, under Obama administration, Cures Act um, amended, I believe, the uh, emergency use authorization or not the emergency, the informed consent requirements, such that subjects don't have to be necessarily informed of what's going on. If it's deemed not in their best interest, and so again, through uh, you know, it's too long to go into the legal history. There is very extensive research, uh, hundreds of pages of documents on legal history of this. But the, the laws that they're invoking to run this program do not require informed consent, uh, and also do not require the clinical trials. So the people. And they're not under-
1: I'm sorry, this is unbelievable. So the people involved in these trials they don't need to be informed about what is happening
2: yes exactly so the the informed consent rules have been amended under obama to say that if it's not in the best interest of the subject who decides if it's if it is if it isn't but that's what it says so you know this these types of things can be concealed from people that this this actually under um under emergency use use authorization used during public health emergency this is very critical that's why they keep extending public health emergency beyond any we don't have any emergency but they keep extending it why because they need this under public health emergency emergency use authorized uh these kinds of medications countermeasures that's a that's a key word these are not vaccines they're countermeasures so all these three together they can use it this way. They don't have to inform the subjects what it is. They can use a lot of secrecy. They don't have to run clinical trials. They're not required because these products cannot be investigational products. That's what the law says. If they cannot be investigational products, then we don't have any investigation. We don't have any clinical trial subjects. So that's that's how they, they're pulling us off.
1: So it's at the Pentagon. It's at the Department of Defense. You mm-hmm. talked about countermeasures and, of mm-hmm. course, Think what we all think of immediately as a foreign threat, right? That this is we're dealing with the Pentagon, right? It's supposed to protect us against foreign adversaries. So how is COVID a foreign adversary, and how is this What's being a, run through through the Pentagon?
2: That's a great question. So uh, from the very beginning, it turns out that the Trump administration and subsequently Biden administration treated this uh, COVID as war, as an act of war. Because the National Security Council is setting COVID response po- policy which is National Security Council doesn't have any health um, health uh, department representatives, only uh, defense and intelligence. And so uh, so National Security Council sets policy for COVID. Uh, HHS is not setting policy. HHS is not lead um, a- agency in response of it. They are managing information. Um, so there, so the, the top of the government is treating it as an act of war. And they're telling all of us, oh, it's a health event. It's a naturally evolved virus jumped from a bat. And don't even mention, uh, you know, lab creation because you'll be canceled on social media immediately and censored, right? So right from the start, we have huge deception going on. What, in fact, they're treating as war. They're telling people it's health event.
1: And we learn so from the... And we learned from the Twitter file, Sasha, just this past week, the latest round of Twitter files, that the Biden administration was actively going after and trying to censor anybody who talked about lab leak theories uh, and talked about Wuhan lab and were going after this idea that this came from a bad, came out of a lab. And so they were actively trying to censor that narrative. Um, and mm-hmm. so this was all coordinated, and we know that multiple agencies were actively of course going after Twitter and social media companies and trying to mm-hmm. uh, trying to keep this quiet in these documents. does your research show I mean just how deeply does this go I and mean, how how widespread is the Pentagon's tentacles in this does it reach to to dr fauci does it reach to um, other main agencies?
2: Well, yes, so they're all um they're all in fact coordinating this in fact there is um, they even set up in 2013, so by the way, the, the planning goes, pre-planning goes years, at least 2012, 2013, based on the contracts and based on uh, the documents that I, I have uncovered. So for example, there is Pandemic Enterprise. Uh, it's a quasi-private, quasi quasi-government quasi enterprise that's been set up in 2013 that involves 10 heads of federal agencies. Uh, it's called PEMC. Uh, the, the abbreviation and uh, so so ten heads of federal agencies including Department of Defense hHS FD, FDA NIH uh, Department of agriculture uh, energy Veterans affairs uh, so all of them together get together and secretly discuss these kinds of countermeasures very secretly so the, the, there is their memorandum of understanding pasted uh, on on uh, on Fda's website and most of it, 90% of it, deals with how we're going to keep everything secret between each other, all the confidentiality disclosures, how we're going to communicate about this. So, so we have this cabal form with a lot of secrecy and a lot of procedures to maintain secrecy about pandemic responses in 2013.
1: It's almost like a knew was coming. I mean, I, this is where we talk about conspiracy theories on this show. I mean, we, and it's all true I mean this is unbelievable there, look, there, there it is all in 2013 and, it's all laid out
2: it's it's laid out how they're going to to keep everything secret and I and I and I wonder why a, a, what's supposed to be a health event is so secret from the public so how how is this even you know so so then so then they're treating it as war then again telling us it's health so here we go so they're they're covering up military activity with this representation of health event and health in response to a health threat so uh so that's where people are not informed right away and and being deceived and then um you know because they've they've invoked these set of laws and they're using countermeasures not even vaccines so countermeasures are not pharmaceutical products countermeasures is a, it's all different category so to be clear
1: to be clear then it's not technically a vaccine right it's no it's just a countermeasure
2: Countermeasure and, specifically, Department of Defense ordered them from private manufacturers as prototypes. So people were never told, oh, come over, get injected with countermeasure prototype. Were they?
1: No, and they weren't told that, right? Because as you pointed out, they were not on a need-to-know basis, right? So they didn't have to have <laughs> informed, informed consent. So here's a prototype we're going to inject you with, just like the 13-year-old girl we featured at the beginning here and talked about. Mm-hmm would would her family have allowed that if they knew that this was just a prototype
2: absolutely not no people were told oh this is vaccine this is safe and effective it's been tested rigorously by the way no testing of safety have been done they, they have not done any animal trials they have not completed any animal trials not even started them before they started mass injecting people in human trials and that's a complete violation of all Regulations everywhere in the world, in, you know, including FDA. And uh, again, nobody was told that. They said, oh, it's been tested. It's been in development. We've done clinical preclinical trials. And they've done none. They just went straight into people and injecting uh, this girl who is now paralyzed, as far as I understand.
0: Okay. That's the first one. And it's important you understand your... This is the basis for massive litigation. This is the basis for bringing that woman in, and all the corporations that she was talking about under oath, and having them turn over all their documents and showing they did not do clinical trials. They lied. In fact, the clinical trials were the people who took the vaccines. And then there were such adverse effects in the very beginning that there was going to be a real big upsurge in myocarditis. And then Wolensky came across and said, "Not to worry, it's transient and minimum." Well, it's not transient; it's permanent. You scar the heart; it does not go away, and ultimately you will probably die from it. So, all these horrors that now they want to cover it up, but it's too late. Their house of cards; every single thing that any of these people have said has now been shown to be wrong but I believe we should hold accountable in the court of public opinion the Howard Sterns. Now, I've never said a thing about Howard Stern or his show or his audience. It's not my business. It's his business. But when you start demeaning people who have not gotten the vaccine, and the same with Jimmy Kimball and so many others in the public eye, who are celebrities, and you haven't done your homework, and when you're wrong at least have the humility to say I made a mistake and then then focus some of your enormous multi-millions hundreds of millions of dollars on hiring some journalists to find out how you were lied to by authorities and then go after those authorities But we haven't seen that Jimmy Dore, yes Joe Rogan, yes but very few And so that's why I wanted you to know this That's one part of our program giving you brand-new information, showing you that it was manipulated, it was manufactured, it was controlled, it was a bioweapon from day one. And right now we're finding out, lo and behold, that Anthony Fauci has been funding these bioweapon labs all across the United States. No one knew this. Now you do. Now testimony under oath is going to happen over the next several months where these people will be held accountable. Now they can't lie, because if they do, these committees, contempt of Congress, and that's serious for them. Now we're going to a completely different part of the program. Over the weekend, I'm sure many of you heard that ambulances were targeted by Israel and blown up in Gaza when they were going to the so-called safe zone, that camps in the south of uh, Gaza that were told, go there and not the north, and you'll be safe. Well, the camps were blown up. And the people are just crowded together, tremendously packed, knowing that when you're putting a bomb off in these areas, huge bombs, you're going to kill hundreds of people. In fact, as of today, the most conservative figure we know of, in the last three weeks, uh, 10,000 Palestinian civilians have been killed. And the minimum figure is 44,100 children. But the more realistic figure is probably double that. Why? Because no one is able to get in there. They don't have the equipment to tear down all the debris, the rubble, to get the people who are still living underneath, meaning people who are trapped and damaged and hurt. Also, we have a clip I'm going to play in a little bit from a Doctors Without Borders that I support, by the way. They're a good organization. A board-certified pediatrician who works for they're in Gaza, and she's going to tell you what she's saying. None of that is reported in the mainstream media. None of that is discussed by Jesse Waters or Sean Hannity or Laura Ingram, or the president or anyone else, Chuck Schumer. No one in Congress is talking about the consequences of what happens when your intent is to destroy an entire group.
3: He's a professor of great eminence, and he joins us now on the Mother of All Talk Shows. Professor Norman, thanks uh, for being with us. I have resisted uh, for decades actually, uh, sometimes under instruction from my superiors, uh, allusions uh, between Gaza and the Warsaw Ghetto, between Gaza and the camps and so on, but Hasn't Gaza now become a death camp?
4: I think that's an accurate description. I think from 2006 or earlier, it was uh, technically accurate to describe Gaza as a concentration camp. Uh, Already in 2003, the respected Hebrew University professor, Baruch Kimmerling, described Gaza as quote the largest concentration camp ever. Uh, Giora Island, who's a senior official in Israeli in the Israeli government and Israeli elite circles, Giora Island described Gaza as, quote, a huge concentration camp. And now that was before, in the case of Professor Kimmerling, and the case of Ireland. That was before the blockade had been ratcheted up in 2006, and then ratcheted up another notch in 2007. So already before the brutal blockade of Gaza, which Richard Goldstone himself, in the Goldstone report after Operation Cast Lead, he said it likely rose to a, quote, crime against humanity. So well before the developments I just described, the um, a senior Israeli professor, a senior Israeli official uh, was describing Gaza as a concentration camp. However, I do think it's correct to say at this point, it's no longer only if we can use that qualification it's not only a concentration camp, but it's become a death camp. Now, for those of, those of you listeners who recoil at that description, I would ask them to respond to the following question. On October 8th, three of Israel's senior officials stated the following. Number one. Chaim Herzog, the President of Israel, stated that Israel would not distinguish between Hamas and civilians. He said they voted for Hamas, meaning the civilians, they didn't overthrow Hamas, and therefore they bear the same responsibility for the events of October 7th as Hamas itself. Statement number two was by the Israeli Defense Minister, Gallant. He said, henceforth, we're not going to allow any food, water, fuel, or electricity into Gaza. And statement number three was by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who said that this was going to probably be the longest, as they call it, operation that Israel has had to conduct. Now, Operation Protective Edge in 2014, it lasted 51 days. So let's add up the three statements. Number one, we're not distinguishing between civilians and combatants. Number two, we're not allowing any food, water, electricity, or fuel into Gaza for combatants and for the 2.3 million civilians, of whom half are children. And number three, we expect that this operation will go on for a minimum 51 plus days. So if you add up those three statements and you connect the dots, I would ask you listeners to respond to the question, how can that not be described as a genocide? How can that not be described as a murder warrant for the 2.3 million people in Gaza, of whom half are children and about 70% are refugees.
0: Okay. Half are children. So, by the most conservative measure as of an hour ago, 4,100 children have died. I was going to play a video and I decided not to because it's just too heart-rendering it shows children being brought into an emergency hospital. By the way, there's only a handful of hospitals operating at all in Gaza and they don't have anesthesia, they don't have water, they don't have food, and uh, there's no more room. And this is just children and you see one child coming in and it's kind of a close-up because it goes right by the camera. The entire skull is gone. You see his brain and the blood coming over his face. I mean, And that's acceptable to the Democrats? Republicans? It doesn't matter. Stop using the word conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican. None of that is real. None of it matters. We're talking about humanity. And it seems like no one in Washington has anything representing a concern for the victims. I'm going to get to that in a moment. But since when? When the reality is you say, well. We're, we're forcing everyone, and we're going to carpet bomb. We're, we're hitting it, they're hitting it. They hit ambulances, so what happened when they hit the ambulance blew all these people up in an ambulance? Well, in a hospital. Then Egypt closed the gate. So now they put a postponement on evacuations. Where exactly is someone supposed to go when you're in a prison? And you're being shot at from every angle, indiscriminately, where whole buildings, whole blocks are being obliterated with people in the buildings... No one knows how many tens of thousands of people are buried under the rubble because you're not being made aware by the mainstream media of how devastating 24-7 this effect is. If you want to hold those uh, in Hamas who exercised the uh, killing and slaughtering of the 1,400 Israelis, fine. Fine that they should be brought to justice. But you don't have disproportionate attacks upon innocent civilians knowing. But what if that's their whole goal? What if the goal is, once and for all, we're going to clear this all out. They're all going to be gone. And here and then in the West Bank. And by the way, I saw some terrible videos yesterday where innocent, non-combatant Palestinians living in the West Bank, some for generations farming olives, went with their little sacks to pick olives, and suddenly here come the settlers, fully armed with the army, with them, and they just beat the hell out of these people. And one of the guys was protesting. They just shot him. Shot him right in the stomach. Down he goes. Now, that won't count anywhere. An innocent person wanting to farm. And then you see the army going up to a house and saying, you got 24 hours to get out of here. We've been here for 75 years. Well, if you're not out of here by tomorrow, within 24 hours, these settlers are going to come. So you see them frantically packing up what they can put on this little truck, but 80 percent of the stuff they couldn't take, so they had to leave. And then all every single one of these, uh, every single one of these peasants, because that's what they are, working their little land with their water turned off. And then you see the settlers coming up and cursing them and and saying vile things to them, beating the hell out of them, shooting them, not a word. Like, they, they don't count. They're the other. So, America, our government is supporting this. Now I'm going to show you the deeper story. We're going to go a little deeper here. Why Great Britain is doomed to never learn from history. And the morons who've run it now and in the past should be held accountable. Listen carefully to this, because my commentary is going to follow this.
5: King Charles has been in Kenya this week and he's been trying to make amends for Britain's colonial crimes. It is the intimacy of our shared history that has brought
3: our people together. However, we must also acknowledge the most difficult times of our long and complex relationship. The wrongdoings of the past are a cause of the greatest sorrow and the deepest regret There were abhorrent and unjustifiable acts of violence committed against Kenyans as they waged, as you said at the United Nations, a painful struggle for independence and sovereignty. And for that, there can be no excuse. In coming back to Kenya, it matters greatly to me that I should deepen my own understanding of these wrongs and that I meet some of those whose lives and communities were so grievously affected. None of this can change the past, but by addressing our history with honesty and openness, we can perhaps demonstrate the strength of our friendship today.
5: So the news here is that King Charles didn't offer quite an apology, but he did express regret about Britain's past. And we should talk about what Britain's past in Kenya is. Britain began colonising the land that would become Kenya from 1888 and British authorities would go on to forcibly take land, pen the native population in reserves, introduce forced labour and commit all of the other injustices associated with colonialism. But specifically King Charles was referencing Britain's response to the Mau Mau uprising. The Mau Mau, formerly called the Kenya Land and Freedom Army um, were a militant group that fought British rule throughout the nineteen fifties. They took up arms and in their struggle killed a number of civilians. And the British response was fierce. They bombed Kenyan towns and cities where they believed the Mao Mau lived. They interned over a million Kenyans in barbed wire villages where food and water was limited and where movement was heavily restricted, and over one hundred thousand people suspected of being part of the Mao Mau were rounded up and put in concentration camps. This is a former detainee who had been a member of the Kenya-Africa Union, so an organization that wasn't the Mau Mau, describing his experience.
6: a Mau Mau, describing his experience. To him in his life, I'd go where he was. By the way, I would go there. He would go there And this would look how it would, because I wouldn't know. I think I would leave, but this would begin again, who would come from because of he he opened came from, A man would to
0: Okay, just so you understand what he was saying. This was a Kenyan, and he was saying that over a hundred thousand of the citizens were put into these barbed wire enclosures. And he, along with a lot of other men, were put into tiny little, imagine the size of a doghouse outside, but made out of metal. So it was burning hot. And they would be cramped up in there, not able even to stretch out. Uh, And then they would be taken out and beaten and hung up by their legs and beaten by the British. And this was done to thousands of people. And over, it is estimated that over 100,000 Kenyans who were accused of being Mau Mau's were killed. And uh, anyone who protested, those people were also beaten and put into concentration camps and starved and killed by the British. I'll get to my comments on why Charles didn't go into any details at all. And it wasn't an apology.
6: Back now to the.
5: In their repression of the Mau Mau uprising, the British killed over 11,000 people, the vast majority of them not involved in armed resistance. And it was all in the name of wiping out what they called a terrorist group. This is how the uprising was covered in British newsreels at the time.
6: In Nairobi, capital of Kenya, Europeans and Africans still walk the streets in fear of the dreaded Mau Mau. For it is that band of fanatics whose bloody deeds
0: have cast a dark shadow across the face of Kenya. Troops are in the streets of Nairobi. Sir Evelyn Baring, the governor, salutes the men of the Lancashire Fusiliers, who have flown in to help clear his colony of the Mau Mau menace, which has struck fear into Kenya's very heart. A black cloud of suspicion hangs over all in Kenya, and until the Mau Mau are destroyed, The innocent too must suffer.
5: So we're presented with a terrorist group committed to a reign of terror. Of course, there is no mention of why they might have been fighting or why occupation and colonialism might be at the root of this. And the British journalist at the end there tells us, until the terrorists are destroyed, the innocent must inevitably suffer. The innocent must inevitably suffer. Aaron, we like to think we've moved on from media coverage like this, but can you think of any contemporary parallels, any other examples where we've got people dismissed as terrorists and people justifying the collective punishment of a civilian population until that terrorist group, or so-called terrorist group, is destroyed? Just a few, Michael. Just a few. And
7: also, with regards to Mao Mao in Kenya, there are also a, a few Conservative, or rather a few Labour MPs, who led the national debate in terms of the truth of the matter. Barbara Castle went to Kenya. She said what is happening there is awful. She compared it to the Gestapo under the Third Reich. That was what Barbara Castle did. You might not agree or disagree, but that's what she did. Um, And she highlighted appalling appalling atrocities there. We don't know how many people died. There's a great book by Caroline Elkins. I've got it written here. Britain's Gulag, which was the most recent... uh, Sorry, that was the first book she did. Legacy of Violence which came out in 2022, massive book. I read it a couple of years ago. Uh, I think I probably read it before it came out. I read like a proof version. So you gets to, get to do that when you're you know, a journalist. It's a really long book, six, 700 pages. Fantastic, fantastic book, amazing book. I read the first one, which I think came out in 2005, six, and then that one. She's a Harvard academic, a hugely, hugely impressive historian. And I think if you're interested in Kenya, what happened, Carolyn Elkins is the place to start. So that's the first parallel, Michael, with what we have today, um, is that we have certain Labour MPs who say things which are not really very savoury. shouldn't be saying that in polite society. Uh, we don't look at them like that now, do we? And I suspect the same will hold true for dissenting MPs who criticise, for instance, Israeli um, security policy and its judgments in the last month. I think in 70, 80 years, those calling it out will be viewed in a certain way. Of course, that's for history to decide, not me and then uh, in terms of the sheer numbers we don't know how many died but it was a lot it really was a lot i mean elkins puts the numbers at you know hundreds of thousands um but of course this was effectively a, a formal civil war as well so you can't lay that entirely at the hands of the british in so much as people were also acting on their behalf uh but it was a really appalling time around the same time as that of course you've got malaya what was called the, um, the emergency, the Malaya emergency, very similar tactics. You have huge numbers of people, most of the civilian population in Malaya put into concentration camps. Um, they were forcibly resettled. Uh, and also you have the, uh, the use of, um, I believe agent, agent orange, I believe, and maybe napalm, which of course the U S then deploys in Vietnam because they look at what the Brits do so successful in Malaya, you're fighting. Uh, in a jungle counterinsurgency warfare guerrilla warfare tactics this is what the brits do we're gonna do the same in vietnam so it wasn't that long ago michael that we were doing some pretty abysmal things i know people like to say well the british empire was a long time ago it wasn't that long ago i mean this is literally the british empire you can at least go to the end of the second world war but many people like to think that the worst excesses of british imperialism are 100 150 years old of course to an extent that's true Um, but some pretty barbaric stuff was still happening in in living memory you know we're talking the mid-1950s here there are many people out there who were alive or their parents were alive then and that's the political context we're in and i think that's actually supremely useful when thinking about ongoing events you know like the illegal war of iraq for instance or what's going on right now in palestine and and, and gaza Uh, this is a very useful context so like I say, Caroline Elkins, very formidable
5: writer. Uh, I'd love to interview her one day on Navarra to talk about precisely this. I want to go a bit more into sort of the present parallel, because obviously sort of reading about this and watching the videos about how this was covered at the time, it reminded me of how the Western press is, is talking about Israel, Palestine and Hamas, right? They are saying essentially, Hamas, whatever you think of their tactics, you have to recognise that they came out of a particular context of occupation, of injustice. Right? That doesn't justify killing grandmas and children right but you can't explain what happened on october the 7th without giving that context and that's exactly how the mao mao were covered they were just this this group of irrational bloodthirsty barbaric terrorists who had to be destroyed you know no reference to the context at all i look for you know there's quite a lot of part footage about this um about the mao Mau, Mau on, on youtube it is very interesting to watch to sort of see the parallels and how this was talked about then at the end of of that clip that we showed you, you had someone saying you know To destroy the Mau Mau, you know, we don't like to do it. We don't want to um, make life miserable for Kenyan civilians. But it's not us. It's not us that are responsible for this. The responsibility lies with the Mau Mau. And until the Mau Mau are all rooted out and found, generally an impossible thing to do, by the way, if people are part of a popular struggle, until they're completely destroyed, what we are going to have to do is make ordinary Kenyans suffer. And that's exactly what we've heard about here. And, you know, when we talk about in the the, the past, right, it's, it's, it's common sense. King Charles will say, well, of course, yeah, that was collective punishment. Of course, we shouldn't have done that. When it comes to a situation right now, the media is exactly the same in 2023 as it was in the 1950s. Oh, no, this isn't collective punishment. It's ridiculous to call this collective punishment. What this is, is Israel, who are, you know, they're good people, good, they're a good country, like us, civilized people. They are trying to root out a, an awful terrorist group. And if those terrorist groups hide out among ordinary people, it's not our fault if we end up killing a lot of civilians in the process. That's the terrorist's fault for hiding among the people. Every resistance group ever, anywhere, I, do I even want to use the word hides? But stays among the people. They're often of the people. But also in a situation of asymmetrical warfare, you are generally um, going to hide out. In, in in civilian areas, because if you if you know, if you know if you have a big bunker and call it this is our Ministry of Defence, and you're up against an army which is a thousand times stronger than you, that Ministry of Defence, which you've just sort of put a sign up uh, on top of, isn't going to last very long, is it? So in a situation of asymmetric warfare, when you've got a, a colonised people fighting back against a coloniser, that's how they behave. And when we look at this in the past, we can be adults about this. We can say, oh, we the Mao Mao terrorists or were they freedom fighters it's actually up for debate you know it's not the, as if the historiography says oh history has proven the mau mau right because there's a debate about whether the mau mau actually sped up the process of decolonization or whether they slowed it down it's not exactly the same situation as sort of the anc where it was the anc who ultimately um, became the the government after the the british left or after you know uh, an apartheid colonial system ended the Mao mau were sort of you could call them the radical flank um, of, of the fight against colonialism and potentially you know, some of the tactics people who are against colonialism might still want to condemn. I mean, it doesn't seem particularly urgent to do that. Um, but we can have a sensible conversation about were those tactics right? And obviously, we have to always have, as the big meta story, the reason, anything, the, the reason any of this is happening, the reason any of these difficult tactical decisions have to be made by a uh, colonized people is because there is an imperial occupier there. Right? So you're failing to see the wood from the trees if, if, if you're just saying, well, the Mau Mau are terrorists. But if the Mau Mau, if this situation was right now, right, you'd have someone of Kenyan background or whoever. They go on the BBC, first question, do you condemn the Mau Mau? Right? They, wouldn't say, they wouldn't be asking them about the, the concentration camps that in this case you know, 100,000 people w- were put in and, and tortured. They wouldn't be asking you about the million or so people who were in barbed wire villages their their movement restrained by the way uh, the justification for restraining their movement was also exactly the same as the justification for putting cars under siege oh if we let them move around freely they would just do terrorist attacks right? that's what we say about gaza but if these people if the the kenyans in the 1950s or if the Kenyan, if this if this situation was right now um the kenyans would be going on bbc and say do you condemn the mau mau and then that would be the whole conversation 10 minutes wasted do you condemn the mau mau aaron do you think i'm overstating the similarities here no i think that's exactly
7: what would happen that was that's, that's literally exactly. You know, can you imagine? Can you imagine if we had Twitter in the nineteen twenties when you had the various boycotts by Indians Indians uh, to get rid of British uh, British colonialism? Do you condemn this? Oh, this is bad. Oh God, these boycotts by Indians of various British businesses—that's bad. Don't you know you're putting little Timmy out of uh, you know his father, this imperial uh, diplomat and business owner, you, you, his children can't go to Harrow. Haven't you thought about that? That's the kind of stuff we would have. You know, when we have the rail strikes in this country, Michael, you know, last winter, BBC online, here are the three people who couldn't go to a Britney Spears concert. That's the kind of stuff you would see. What you have to understand, Michael, is it's something I I have grasped as I've gotten older is very few people actually believe, believe in the wider principle of liberty, freedom for everyone. Very few people, not very few people. It's, It's not the majority. They believe in it for themselves, which, of course, is why you get liberal democratic government, you get trade unions, you get all sorts of things, because people are really interested in, in advancing their own interests. But when it comes to other people, it's, 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 it's unusual. It's unusual to think, well, actually, that person over there deserves the same thing I have over here and which I take for granted. It's very really unusual. Um, so no, I don't, I don't think you're overstating the, the, the case, Michael.
0: But isn't it interesting? How many Brits?
7: And I certainly didn't.
0: OK, so let's put this in perspective. And here's how I see it. You can agree or disagree with that. And that is that at no time in any of the discussions of those who are simply supporting Israel carte blanche, without any caveats or limitations, have not asked what would they do if they were kept into a concentration camp, which is now a death camp, with no rights, no privileges, no freedom. They can't, even if they need a procedure that can't be done, they can't go out. Even the calories that they can eat were kept at a minimal just to keep a person alive. And they have been condemned hundreds of times by official bodies for violating human rights. For example, the West Bank, that was supposed to be, and by declaration given to the Palestinians, there's 700,000. Settlers there. And these settlers are nationalists. And they work with impunity. They kill someone, no problem. Because there's a settler's court with a settler's judge and a settler's police. And they never get the, 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 the justice that they should have. The Palestinians, they have no rights. So, what do we say then? Terrorists.
6: Because it was only by them fought. Fi- thought the French fighting the Nazis without any thought.
0: area, or people. Of course, colonialism goes back to ancient Greece, Rome, Egypt, and Phoenicia. European countries believed they had both a legal and a religious, meaning Christian, obligation to control land inhabited by what they called barbarians, or savage people. Worst of it was the Catholic Church, and Protestant leaders were among colonialism's biggest supporters. Are you aware that only Japan, Korea, and Thailand have never been colonized by Europeans? Let me give you examples. This is something for King Charles, since clearly he doesn't like to read history, outside of his own biography. From 1884 to 1885, Berlin Conference was convened by Bismarck, the head of Germany. There were 14 countries who then decided amongst themselves. Think today of think of the Association today of the the Council on Foreign Relations. None Af- no Africans involved, but fourteen countries decided Africa's fate. One false belief is that many peoples were functionally illiterate, you hear that. Well we're glad that they should be happy they were colonized. Think of the advantages. And before colonization, they were all ignorant. Fact. In Vietnam, before the French colonized it, they were eighty percent literate. After they were colonized, they were eighty percent illiterate. In Algeria, before the French, 90% literacy. Afterwards, only 10% literacy. But what King Charles could have said, because a lot of this happened when his mother, and father, and his grandmother, um, and grandfather ran the country. At the height, in the height of the British Empire, was 1922, and they had governed one fifth of the world's population and a quarter of all its landmass. The first British slave trading voyage by John Hopkins in 1562 that would become Britain's largest industry in the 17th to 18th century. 3.1 million Africans to Americas. In 2012, it was reported the United Kingdom's Foreign Office destroyed 9,000 documents about British colonial crimes in 37 former colonies so that they couldn't be held accountable for it. Including their history of the Mau Mau Rebellion in Kenya. But look at India, because Great Britain and the royal family and its parliament should never be forgiven for what they did. Scholars at uh, Macquarie University and the Royal Society of History and Arts estimated that the British Empire killed more Indians from India between 1880 and 1920, it's 40 years, then all the famines in the Soviet Union, Mao's, China, and North Korea combined. How many? A minimum of 100 million people, somehow, King Charles couldn't remember to apologize for. The Irish Famous, one example. The architect of the Irish Famous was a guy named Charles Trevelyan, a fanatical Christian, a die-hard devotee of Adam Smith said the famine was God's way of punishing the lazy Irish. And Trevelyan thought this would encourage cheap imports. Instead, it led to a million people starving to death. And he also launched a public relations blitz in Britain that encouraged people to blame the Irish for their own poverty. Go to Africa, the Boer Wars, B-O-E-R. The British created concentration camps between 1899 and 1902, one sixth of the entire Boer population, men, women, and children, were detained in overcrowded camps. Because of that, 28,000 of them died, and an unknown, name of, unknown number of black Africans with them. Then just jump over to the Indian-Pakistan partition, which was Great Britain in 1947. They uprooted 10 million people. Millions were killed in sectarian violence. Now they didn't go into it, but the Mamao uprising occurred between it was nine years, between nineteen fifty-one and nineteen sixty. And it was against the British maltreatment. The British were raping, torturing, and killing in the British gulags. And they t- and at minimum, mainly against the Kaiku tribe, a hundred thousand deaths minimal. And then you had the Aden emergency in the nineteen sixties. Again, th- this is under Queen Elizabeth. And when Prince Charles was, uh, you know, young, teenager, the British torture what was called the House of Horrors centers in Aden, Yemen. They crushed a person's genitals, they stripped them naked, they placed them in refrigerated cells, and they beat them to death until 1966 when Amnesty International exposed it. The Malay resettlement camps called New Villages of imprisoned peasants, mostly ethnic Chinese, in the 1950s. Hard labor, they gave them scraps of food, a racist policy, a land grab. 500,000 detainees and another half-million Chinese were bobwired and they were forced from their homes. In the 18th century, the transport of opium to China to create widespread addiction as a means of dominant, uh, dominant input in manifest destiny, they took over China's economy. And that led to two opium wars, directly by the British, in 1920 in Iraq. After Iraq got its independence in 1920, British started nighttime bombing raids on civilian targets, including deploying chemical weapons. Any tribe that caused any resentment against Great Britain would have one of its villages randomly annihilated. I mean, completely the orders were given to exterminate every living thing, including animals, inside, including children. And in fact, in one case, almost a thousand were killed. But now look at the leaders. Now, here's the irony. Today, you've got this buffoon called Macaroon in running France. He's a neoliberal fascist. You've got Italy. You've got uh, United Kingdom, United States, Canada, uh, Belgium. And, uh, and you have these countries who are saying 100% support for Israel, none for the Palestinians. That's interesting. Let me remind this guy who seems to have an IQ no higher than 10, Lacroon, that French leader Jules Ferry maintained that Europe, meaning France, England, Belgium, Germany, and Portugal, were a superior race. And therefore, they had a duty to, quote, civilize the inferior races, meaning anyone who lived in Africa, was indigenous. France, like the others, infamously forced labor camps and plantation economies. I'll give you one example in Algeria. France occupied Algeria for 135 years until 1962, and it obliterated Algerian identity through murder, looting, rape, torture, and carrying out... Get this. Did you know this? They intentionally carried out nuclear bomb testing in the Algerian Sahara Desert, they did between 17 and 57 tests with nuclear bombs. But depending upon the source, 42,000 minimally died from radiation exposure. But the French, being so unique at culinary achievements, also are one of the most unique countries in genocide, slaughter, and acting like beasts that have syphilis of the brain. So stuff your entitlement to classical norms of cultural, you are know, grossly malcontent group. You closed Muslims and forced Catholic missionary schools, all of them. 1.5 million Algerians were killed by you. Hundreds of thousands are missing, so you've got to go at least 2 million dead. When Algerians celebrated the defeat of Nazi Germany, the French opened fire, killing 45,000. The evidence the French used Algerians' human shields is plentiful. But also, you didn't stop there. Why stop at one course? You went to Vietnam. No one speaks about Vietnam's famine. Have you ever heard anyone anywhere at any time in your life tell you that the French, they are, at the administrative level, they went ahead and created a famine in Vietnam. Yes, killed two million Vietnamese. This is before their, their major expulsions. Why? Because they wanted the rubber plantations They went to control the Michelin and operated in industrial slavery. And they had granaries that could have fed all the people. Not a a grain went to them. And how about in New uh, Calistonia, uh, in the Pacific, which became a penal colony in the 1860s, housing 22,000 prisoners, including Algerians. And what about your colonization of Haiti, and Ivory Coast, Mali, Niger? where you have uranium mining slavery to this day. What about Morocco and Senegal and Chad and Madagascar and Cambodia and Syria? The French were the ones responsible for the internal division in Syria by trying to unite all the independent provincial regions of Syria, each with a different religious majority, who for centuries ruled together and functionally were harmonious. There's more on France, but I already have indigestion. How about Belgium? There's a case. King Leopold. Democide, it was called, in the Congo. He caused the death of 10 million natives from 1885 to 1908. It was then called Zaire, and then it became a free state. When France takes over, it continued Leopold's system of rule. 22,000 more died in forced labor camps, building the French Congo Railway. Population declined from 30 million to 8 million. That's 22 million people disappeared, died under French rule. The missionaries w- would, were to take in orphans for education from parents who were summarily then executed. So we take your kids so they can become good Catholics, nothing like a good Catholic, right? Jesus. And then they kill the parents. That's a fact. Show sure I'm wrong. Wives used as hostages to force their husbands to work. Severing of hands if workers did not meet quotas on rubber plantations. God, I would never visit Belgium. And I have had chances. I refuse to because of how absolutely horrific they are. They sowed the seeds that would lead to Rwanda In Germany and the massacres of Herroga and Nama and modern-day Namibia, Cattle herders that Germans colonized slaughtered them. Tanzania, genocide of the Bushmen in East Africa, Portugal, the slave trades, the United States. Oh, I'll save the United States because there's so many colonies we killed people, millions of people we killed, not just the Native American population. That's a huge number, estimated up to 110 million. The Philippines in 1898, the Spanish-American War, executing civilians and prisoners and children, burning villages, and torture by U.S. Army and Marines. 300,000 Filipinos moved into U.S. run concentration camps. Thousands died. Cholera, smallpox, bubonic plague. I'll finish with this. This is a letter from a soldier fighting for America, for big corporations. Quote Last night, one of our boys was found shot in his stomach, cut open. Immediately, orders were received from General Wheaton to burn the town and kill every native in sight, which was done in a fiendish way. About a thousand men, women, and children were reportedly killed. I'm probably growing hard, hard-hearted hard for I am in my glory when I can sight my gun on some dark skin and pull the trigger. Wow. And I haven't even gotten to Canada, Australia, and other countries. So why is it that all the people from Australia to Canada can say nothing is... Being done uh, wrong by the by the Israeli government, and yet they are following the same footsteps in the colonies that they have had and how they dealt with anyone who dissents. I'm Gary Knoll. Thank you for listening, and have a nice day.